This episode is sponsored by Horizon Capital, an M&A and micro-private equity firm that acquires and grows SaaS companies. Horizon Capital only works with SaaS companies generating between 500K and 5 million in annual recurring revenue, where they help them unlock the true value of their business and scale to the next level. Whether you're ready to move on to your next startup or want to work with the right growth partner, Horizon's team will work with you to find the best structure possible. From M&A strategy to capital investments, SaaS is all they do. Simple as that. If you're a SaaS founder with less than $5 million in annual recurring revenue and are looking to sell your business, visit horizoncapital.com today and get a free valuation. If you'd like to sponsor the SaaS District podcast or recommend any guests that you think would be valuable to be on the show, visit horizoncapital.com slash SaaS podcast today. Thanks again, folks. Hello, hello, everyone. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SaaS District. In today's episode, we'll be talking about how to blend short and long-term thinking when growing your startup. Today, we have our guest, Garrett Mayergroth, joining us. Garrett is the CEO and co-founder at Directive, which is a next-gen performance marketing agency for software companies. Since he founded in 2014, Garrett has led Directive in an expansion of five new locations in LA, San Francisco, New York, Austin, and London. He has led them to a 300% year-over-year growth rate and now boasts a team of more than 50 people with over nine nationalities from its headquarters and home of operations. As a thought leader, Garrett has been published by Salesforce, Moz, Marketo, Ahrefs, Convince and Convert, and many, many others. He's also been a speaker at many conferences such as Digital Summit, State of Search, General Assembly, MozCon, and several, several more outside of work when he's not writing or reading up on digital marketing and the latest trends, Garrett spends his time indulging in his passion for ocean, sailing, fishing, and sailing with his family. So welcome, Garrett. Glad to have you on uh, SAS District today. I'm glad to be here, man. It's a hell of an intro. <laughs> Damn. Bad, eh? <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking to my team, man. Cut, it. <laughs> Cut that down. Oh, but, uh, glad to chat with you, Akil. Lots of good in- information there. So cool. So yeah, just, you know, we've never met before. Um, you know, a couple of people in our audience may have never heard about you. Can you just share a bit about your background, some of your past ventures, and what was the problem you're looking to solve when you decided to launch Directive? I think it was in 2014. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I wish I had a, like some like grand vision of like some opportunity to solve in the market. Um, that really wasn't how it went down. So okay. I wanted to get in consulting. Um, I applied to some consulting shops. And the ones I did, like, I didn't get, like, I got, like, auto-response emails where they had, like, application portals. And I just, like, didn't, like, my university wasn't even in the portal. It was, like, other, and you get the auto-response. <laughs> cool things. Like, good, good. So, um, I mean, from there, man, I was just like, okay, I'm going to, like, what do people think I'm good at? And then I figured, you know, older people had money and they didn't know the internet. And they figured I probably did. So... I just read a bunch of blogs on like SEO and PPC, started my own shop, um, got some small accounts, brought my best friend on to help run the accounts and then kind of just went from there. Like I think we started with like 20 bucks or something and just kind of, yeah, I grew it. 
So for anyone else who's looking to start their own marketing agency, so you didn't have any other like external capital to start off or it was just like, you had, like you just everything bootstrapped just by yourself getting Yeah, I never worked and- anywhere before. I mean, I had like odd jobs, John. Like I would be like a janitor at college. I worked at the Chamber of Commerce. I was like an independent contractor for some like family friend. Like, but I never like it worked at a corporation, was a W-2, never didn't have any capital. My parents were missionaries. So, I mean, they're not exactly loaded. Um, <laughs> like, it's like, pretty low on the economic food chain of like, <laughs> like financial support from your family when they're missionaries. Yeah. So it wasn't like, nah, man, I just kind of, I don't know if you make more money than you spend, you still have money. Right. So you don't, and then you just figure it out. Right. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't think it's that complicated. I think sometimes people get a little bit carried away. Sure. And how did, could you mind sharing, how did you get your first few clients? Like, were you just reaching out or people in your network? Were you cold calling? What did you Yeah. Do like, so I liked, so the very first client was a shawarma shop. So I had this shawarma shop. I was like, so I went to college kind of in the hood. It's called Azusa. It's in uh, East LA. It's not like a affluent area, um, but in like in a crappy, like strip mall, like class C building. I, got a shawarma guy. I was driving around like my old 1973 Peugeot moped, like drove over there and like handed out a flyer. And I told him I'd help him make a Facebook page and a Yelp page. And I'll hand out flyers for him. I'll get more people to come to his shop. So I kind of did all that. Um, did it for 30 days, came back to get my check. He said, come back tomorrow. I came back. The whole place was boarded up. So that was the very first client. <laughs> I got stiffed on the check. Yeah, man. So like, the thing is, like, nothing's perfect. Nothing actually works. Like, that's what I'm really about life. Like, none of your plans actually work. Like, you just got to keep moving, man. So, sure, sure. Just take it and go. Take the punch and yeah. the hit and keep rocking. Yeah, just keep going. <laughs> keep going. Cool. So now, Directive, obviously doing really well. Um, you guys are a leader in the performance mark- performance growth marketing. Uh, yeah. You know, you have a dedicated team for software companies. So when you're working with SaaS companies, yeah. Um, you know, once the team is aligned, what's your typical playbook or strategy execution to get those results? What are you, what are you doing now? Still handing out flyers or you got something better? I mean, flyers are big, man. You know, a flyer <laughs> yeah. to demo rate, pretty badass. <laughs> oh, the, um, there's no, there's no, like the playbook is common sense and the, we have frameworks, we have approaches, we have a really sophisticated approach, but Nothing plug and plays. Okay. Everybody's so worried about scale, they forget about what creates it. In other words, like I see it's also it's the same thing that agencies say problem with SaaS, right? People are like, well, is it scalable? How are we gonna do this? But then they have no retention. If you have no retention, you have no capital to flow and growth margin to fuel your customer acquisition costs, your LTV CAC ratio gets out of whack and your whole business falls apart. And so in its simplest form, the best way to acquire customers is to get your positioning right. In other words, like you got to solve a specific problem for a specific group of people that's more valuable than what you're charging. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's yep. pretty simple. And then you got to figure out when there's purchase intent for the thing I sell, is my brand discoverable? So if I'm selling an EDI software, something in DevOps and someone or security software for Kubernetes and someone searches Kubernetes software and like an old client of mine, Sumo Logic, where I did everything for him pre-IPO, doesn't show up. Well, you can't capture the demand you generated from all your field marketing or whatever that was, right? So enterprise is different than like freemium and all these SaaS companies are different in how they grow. But in simplest form is like, you have to have this strong value prop 
Mm-hmm. It needs to be frictionless to engage with you digitally. In other words, like everybody in SaaS loves to do request a demo. Yeah. It's like the world's worst call to action. It sucks. It doesn't perform okay. well. It stinks. But everybody does it. Mm. What you're better off doing is like figure out how to get people into your products. So if you just have context, like so a lot of like the big accounts, like we just got Zoom Info, for example. Mm-hmm. These are types of accounts, they're they're trying to get people into their products as quickly as possible, like Sumo Logic, quickly as possible. Like I'm trying to think of another big one we just started working with. I forget the name of them off the top of my head. Um, but they're trying to get back to devs. Yeah. All these yeah. companies are trying to get back to allowing developers to install their instance into their dev environment and get into their product. Mm-hmm. And then marketers are doing everything they can to get credit and everything. <laughs> and so they're missing the whole game. Right. And so the better we can get people frictionless into value, like what's the first moment that our product creates value and how can I get you there with the least amount of friction as possible? Like that needs to be the game in SaaS. So it's really mm-hmm. simple when you break it all down. So there's no like magic bullet. It's more just like decreasing psychological friction, identifying where your true value is, and then making sure you're discoverable when there's purchase intent. You put that all together. Now you can start advertising. You can start growing awareness. You can start doing different tricks and ta- campaigns and tactics and ad campaigns. But it really mm-hmm. just comes down to the basics. So. You mentioned most SaaS companies are using the demo, right? They're pushing into a demo. They're not getting to the, to the product. I'm assuming it's a lot more for, you know, enterprise or kind of bigger clients. Um, how, is anything different there, like for driving those sales qualified opportunities with, with PPC or any other way? Or, no, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's ways to do it. But I mean, I wouldn't say Sumo Logic's trying to get small accounts. You know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't say that what I've seen is the highest performing companies are really, really good at getting prospects to a point of value in their product exceptionally. Mm. Now, with that being said, some people need to give demos. I'm all for that. That's great. But you need to give the prospect something more valuable in real time than they're giving you. Mm -hmm. So think about it like this. When someone goes to your website and they request a demo, what's the psychological friction associated with the demo? First thing, it's going to take my time. Second thing, all I really want to know is price. Third thing, let me just see the damn product and I'll tell you if I like it or not before you have to even explain it to me because I'm not a technological idiot. And if your product isn't simple enough that it, I don't understand it on my own, how am I going to get adopted into my enterprise? Right. So you're playing the wrong game. The game should be like, watch a five-minute demo video. You still have it gated, but instead of giving them a request a demo, they give you their phone number, their email, their personal information, and you say, thanks, our team will reach out within 24 hours. What, what that's why you're not doing better is because there's too much friction associated with getting pricing or seeing your product. So how do we get, if pricing is not accessible because the way you do it, understandable, then how do we get them into your product? Well, we have to be able to get people to experience your product with the least amount of friction as possible. And your product has to be good enough to sell itself because I'm not a magic worker. I can't make mm-hmm. bad products good, right? And so, and if you focus there, right, once again, this whole game gets easier. Yeah, I guess there's there's always that balance, right? Where you want to set a filter too, right? You don't want to uh, spend too much time with you know the wrong wrong people who are not going to buy anyways and who don't have that intent. Um, don't worry about that though, Akil, yeah. because you can't control firmographics like you think you can. Mm. So what I mean by that is you the only place that you have firmographic data with control, you don't have intent, and the only place you have intent, you don't have firmographics. So what I mean by that is 
Google ads and search engines where people expressly communicate that they want your product do not have firmographics today. There's beta programs that I'm a part of that I'm whitelisted on. They don't work. They're just, the data is not good enough yet. Mm. Conversely, LinkedIn and conversation ads is some of the most effective campaigns we're running for our clients right now, but you don't have purchase intent. So you're better off making sure that there's either purchase intent or it's the persona and then allowing an inbound SDR to filter than trying to filter pre-value. You still want to give right. people value because you never know when that person's going to change companies, get a bigger budget or become a customer or become even more importantly sometimes an employee. Because marketing isn't just about getting revenue from your marketing. It's also about getting your brand in front of all the facets of your business. Because most of these companies' biggest struggle is actually not revenue. It's oftentimes engineering. So hmm. how you build rapport and how you do all this. So it's not about like getting great at screening. That's what you want to use lower level transactional team members for. You, you have to get really good at de decreasing friction and creating value. And then you can monetize or, you know, choose. Like I have like, so someone can't fit with us. I have mm -hmm. a learning management system so they can learn how to do everything we do for $99 a month and they can do it themselves. They mm -hmm. can join society, which is a Slack group that's got over 300 plus active members they can use Pulse, they can use our database to figure out what's going on in the space, or they can pay at least X amount and hire us to do services. So you can still ideally monetize all those people for, at a later date or transaction. Cool. So they only have a hundred bucks a month now, they start there, and then at some point when they grow, cool, we're ready to... to or they go to like marketers and engineers, like everybody loses, moves jobs every two to three years. That's true. So if you're so short-sighted, right, and that goes to blending long-term thinking, if you're so short-sighted that you have to monetize everybody now, you create a brand that's abrasive instead of embracing people with where they're at. And as long as you can keep embracing people, it's going to come back to reward you over the years in your pipeline. I guess it's kind of tough though, right? When you're, you're kind of maybe VC-backed and you have some short-term goals you need to hit, it's hard to, to make those long-term decisions, right? Where you have to hit goals short-term and maybe you know, less thinking about two or three years down the line. Yeah, but that doesn't conflict with screening pipeline. So you still don't want to like worrying too much about seats mm -hmm. is the death of digital demand gen. Mm. And that's why like, so if you do this right, like right now for directive, we have a better like LTV CAC ratio from our demand gen efforts than we do from SDRs mm. because we've gotten really good at like when people advertise right now, what they don't realize is they use their full CAC to give to the platform. Right. So if you're on Google Ads, for example, and you know you have a customer acquisition cost, you can spend up to $1,200 for a demo. They then try to spend all $1,200 on Google Ads. Mm -hmm. What I do is I spend $1,100 on Google Ads and $100 on a gift card if they take the meeting. Mm, much more powerful. So then <laughs> I give $100 to the prospect and $1,100 to the platform. And then because the conversion rate gets so high, it only costs me $600 in the platform. And now I'm saving money by actually spending more money to my customer. But I'm reallocating who I'm giving the value to. I'm giving all my budget to an ad platform or I'm giving some of my budget to ad platform and some to my ideal customer. And when you start getting creative like this and you start using common sense, that's when your campaigns can work. Very cool. So you're saying something like, you know, take a meeting with me. If it's not worth your time, I'm going to give you a hundred bucks. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. Who it. doesn't take the meeting? Now, all of a sudden, your SDR team goes from a 2% email response rate to a 10% and they look really good. Now, obviously, once again, your product has to be right. Your positioning has to be right. Your value that prop. But if you got those three things, 
and all it is about getting people to a meeting, why you keep spending all your money on the platform instead of giving it to the customer. And if you start giving your money to the customer, you actually save money. It's the craziest thing in the world. We're all so hmm. selfish that yeah. we're hoarding. And if you just start running really nice LTV CAC financial models, you'll start to realize you have more leverage from activation than from acquisition. In other words, it's better to give people money to take a meeting than to try to spend money to convince them to take it. Right? It. Yeah, that makes makes perfect sense. So you mentioned something, another platform you have, you guys built uh, called Pulse. So I like Peter Drucker. He says, if you can't measure every part of your business, you can't manage or grow it. Um, so, you know, with that, that analytics hub you've built, which helps you track and benchmark your performance against your competition, um, can you just speak a little bit about that hub of how that data tracks this data and what key metrics do you think are most important to measure against for, for SaaS companies? What should they be performing and, and measuring against? Yeah. Well, um, there's like the way I found pipelines work is they always are evolving with where your focus area needs to be. So, and we talk about pulse in a second too, but just in general, when you think about what you want to measure in SaaS, it depends on where you're at. In other words, if you aren't getting enough meetings, you need to go get more meetings. But what I found is the second you have a lot of meetings, because you haven't had meetings, your system and process for getting people from MQL to SQL and SQL to demo is crap. Mm -hmm. So then you can't monetize your pipeline. So first you need to grow, generate pipeline. And just because you have the meetings and the opportunities, the disco calls coming in, doesn't remotely mean you're going to get more demos. So then it goes from, okay, how do we activate? How do we get people from form fill to proposal? And then once you get really good there, then you have to get really good at demo to MSA, right? To contract, to negotiation. And so ironically, it just depends on what stage you're in. Because there's all the value is always in the current reality. And then the new value comes once you've gotten there. If that makes sense. So yeah. And then Pulse. Pulse is just um, a benchmark. What I found is SaaS marketers, VC funded, like I work with some Vista Group companies. Like we did everything for exactly. Uh, they do sales compensation software. Um, a lot of almost all our clients are funded. So they all have crazy goals. They all are unrealistic, and they all don't really hit them at the way the board wants. That's the game. Yeah, something special, nothing crazy. Um, but they still get more money and everybody's still happy because their goals are ridiculous. And so part of ridiculous goals is why I built Pulse. is so that the in-house marketer can go and say, hey, I know you want to do that and that's your goal. You know, you want to grow by 25%. I'm looking at our other 10 competitors and we're spending less than every one of them. So yes, I want to hit that goal for you. I'm all in on it. I believe we can do it. But I'm looking at my Google ads and I'm at 50% search impression share due to budget. And I'm looking at Pulse and I can see that I'm spending less than everyone else. So the truth is, is you want a Ferrari, but you gave me a lawnmower and I'm not going to go that fast with a lawnmower. <laughs> right. And that's a real conversation. Marketers, but, but marketers are yes men and yes women. And that's their problem. Mm -hmm. They get a goal and without ever thinking about if they could actually hit the goal or what it takes, they say yes. Mm -hmm. And then two quarters later, they're fired and they wonder what happened because uh, it wasn't fair. Unrealistic. But there was a moment where they had this opportunity to push back and that's what we got to get good at. So for SaaS marketers, just adding that, who, who are maybe, you know, even founders, they're looking to plan their growth budgets. You know, maybe they're, they're trying to benchmark. Um, what else do you suggest to maybe optimize their fi financial model? 
you know, both on yeah. short term and the long term scale to avoid, you know, wasting time and, you know, hitting the ROI on spend and, you know, for, for, the, for these companies? Yeah. So you first want to start by capturing intent. So first part is making your brand discoverable. So if someone's searching for the product or service you sell, does your brand show up when there's purchase intent? That's Captera, G2, Software Advice, those types of environments, those listicles, those top X, top Y, best this, best that, reviews this, reviews that. Got to be there. That's when there's purchase intent. And that's when people, they... They decide you're the best because other people said it, not your sales team, not your marketing. And that's very compelling, not only for initial conversion, but I found is cost for conversion can sometimes be very misleading. And most marketers right now are optimizing based on cost per conversion versus cost per demo or right. cost per deal. Right. And what I found is cost per demo and cost per deal from third-party review sites is exponentially lower than that from Google Ads because those prospects did their research, chose you, but they also have two tabs open. Mm -hmm. So if you're not better than your top two competitors, review sites don't work for you because you get conversions, you get leads, but you can't close them because you're in a competitive, you're in a competition in this moment. So that's right. why it still goes back to like product fit, value, those things. But once you have that, that's when you can start doing the advertising, position yourself to be discoverable, and then grow. But what we do is we manage all of that in an LTV CAC sheet. So I take the LTV CAC of every one of your channels with a vision that helps your CMO say, hey, if I had another dollar, where would I spend it? Mm. That's a really important question. And so we give them a model that says, hey, I... And then you can see search impression share. Oh, you're at 50% here. You're, you could spend another two grand here. And some channels, you can't spend more and get more from. So you got to realize what those channels are. And that's where you need to create your focus, your time, your resources, your hours, your agency, whatever that is, mm. to try to create that repeatability. And then you got to get good on the marketing and sales ops to push it through the stages. And what, what are you guys aiming for? Still trying to get that minimum three to one CAC to LTV? Or is that what you're... Yeah, what you're I, I like to do... I, so I, the way I say it is um, you need to... If you want to like... So I let my team come to me and they'll get an experiment budget. So they could say, hey, I want to test. And I built models where they could create a forecast. So let's say they want to sponsor a webinar. And the webinar is guaranteeing... Um, 700 leads and it's seven grand. Cool. So I put together the model and I, they, I gave it to them so they can use it. They put all their stuff in there. They get a forecast LTV CAC of whatever that is. It's, mm. And as long as it's greater than two, mm. we can launch it. My thought is as long as something has an LTV CAC of two, I think there's enough optimization to get it to three and it's worth adding to your mix. Something less than two let's retire it and keep focusing on higher leverage opportunities. Makes sense. And you can always upsell too, right? If you get... Yeah, well, you get and you can expand too. Yeah, I still yeah. try to keep initial acquisition right at like three to one. But on experiments, I mean, it's not like... I mean, you have to have room to like collect data and optimize. Mm -hmm. And trying to start at three doesn't make sense. Makes sense. And then... uh so when, when it comes to tracking, I know you're big on OKRs, if, I, if I'm uh, correct. Yeah. How, how do you guys use uh, OKRs to track actual growth for the businesses? Or how do you suggest other SaaS founders to set that up internally with their teams? Yeah, yeah. so I'm using a tool called Ally um, right. to do OKRs. Um, and then I do that as like on quarterly OKRs. So we do, with the executive team, we have our quarterly goals, we got, you know, objectives and key results. 
And then they all funnel down. So we want to hit X amount of revenue. So they need X amount of ops, X amount of MQLs, SQLs. And that's kind of how I do it with marketing. And then other departments will have, whether it's a retention goal, whether it's an average order value goal, whatever that department is, but everybody has theirs an ally. And then we do our one-on-ones based on their OKRs. So it's not about like, oh, how are you feeling today? And blah, blah, blah. It's like, hey, how are we doing on our OKRs? How are we progressing? How can I support you? You know, what do we need to do to hit that? And so it keeps us very um, outcome oriented uh, with our inputs, if that makes sense. And how often are you reviewing that? Is that on a weekly basis? And then are you making changes or just once a quarter? Uh, no, we do. I mean, we'll adjust as we go, but we try to not pivot too much. I think um, pivoting too much is a sign of in, in like immaturity in your experience in business. Like I'm, I'm learning as I get better and better at this, I pivot less and less. And then I <laughs> say fewer and fewer things. Hmm. Um, so, and I'm still not great at it as I will be in the future, but the fewer things you communicate and the more focus you create and the more alignment you can create for everything you say, that's when you start to get that like flywheel effect and you start to get better. So you shouldn't be changing your OKRs all the time. It should be very stable because you should have a very thorough planning process and you, yes, you want to adjust so you can postpone certain ones, start new ones. As long as it's within your initial summit, if you keep missing and having to keep changing your OKRs, it's not, no, there's no employee or director that likes that coming from their executives. Whether you set the wrong goal or you set it too high, right? You set the bar way too high and you're just like unrealistic. Or yeah. if you're changing that because it was too low and you're just like, eh, yeah. So I think, I think you get that with experience, right? Like what's actual realistic and maybe you're not hit a hundred percent, but you get close enough is, is probably... Yeah. yeah. So you have to just get kind of good at the game. Um, mm. But uh, we meet bi-weekly on our OKRs and update right. to them. Um, so, you know, once every uh, two weeks, so twice a month. Um, mm. But more than that, and you're not really getting a ton of value out of the meeting, you're probably better off trying to influence them than report on them. Right. So yeah. Yeah. A little bit of balance. Mm. So you mentioned you work with the you know marketing managers. They have two quarters. If they don't hit their goals, they're they're fired, right? Um, how do you work with you know how do you approach these business growth and planning when SaaS companies need to hit their quarterly quarterly goals? Um, with the understanding that some of these marketing channels take a lot of time to test and see results, right? So of course with the paid, it's it's a little bit easier to set that up. But you know if you're doing SEO or CRO or other things, maybe it takes a little time. Um, how do you set that expectation there? Yeah, I mean. It's not about time because paid takes just as long as organic. Like mm-hmm. the whole time thing is like a myth in a lot of ways and has you focused on the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Like it's really about understanding if every input is actually aligned with your outcome goal because everything takes different amounts of time. Mm-hmm. Like regardless like paid is not nearly as fast as we think it is. It's just not. True. True. Like it's a total misconception. And organic isn't as slow as everyone thinks it is. The truth is, is most people's organic stinks and their paid stinks. Honest to God. Like <laughs> that's like because they're not saying any, like they're doing content for SEO instead of for their audience. Yep. So even yep. if you get the traffic, it doesn't turn into customers. Like I can't tell you how many people's have diminishing marginal returns on organic conversions and correlation to traffic. Mm-hmm. It's not like it grows one to one. So the, the 
the point isn't about how long it takes to get more traffic. It's about how long does it take to understand why someone would ever care what you wrote. Mm-hmm. Like, why should someone read your blog? And what I found is the only reason someone should read your blog is because you can say something that no one else can say. Yeah. And if that's not what your content strategy is, unless you're one of the 1% of people in the world that are that good at execution, consistency, and scale, because every industry has that one person they all want to be like and everybody else sucks, right? Like, yeah. Well, the reason is because they're trying to be that person without saying anything different than that person. So why would you steal their readers? It's not like there's unlimited readers. So if everybody's already getting their information from somewhere else, how are you going to get them to stop getting information from there and start getting it for you? In other words, if you launch a business newsletter, it has to be better than Morning Brew. Why would I read you? I'm not going to read two. Mm-hmm. And so like, that's the problem. It's all in how we think things work and we don't use enough common sense. Mm-hmm. And so we get our goals of traffic or leads, but it doesn't hit revenue because it's vanity. And so getting to revenue doesn't take as long as people think if you're doing it right. The only reason it takes so long is because you're not doing a good enough job of communicating differentiation value and building that. Does that kind of make sense? No, it does make sense. So I, I came across a, a SaaS company recently where they they spent a lot of time on their SEO. They built their traffic, I think, to 100,000 just from their blog, 100,000 visitors a month. But yeah. then I look at their conversions. that Their conversions stayed flat, but it dropped because all the traffic from their blog wasn't converting at all. So... I have all this traffic. But it's nice that you're doing a good job for SEO, but if it's not, it's not like none of them are turning to users. Not yeah, even free so like, users. I mean, a big part of our SEO deliverable here at Directive is CRO. To be completely transparent, it's about mm-hmm. like how do we get people to, how do we position your product to be discoverable, your content when there's a problem and they're looking for a solution, right? Mm-hmm. There's this moment of problem awareness, solution discovery. We want your brand to be in that moment, but then how do I integrate your product into it? So it's a very one-to-one connection between the article you're reading and how their product solves it. And if you don't connect those dots between product and content, it just dies. And that's, I mean, 99% of the companies out there. And what, what do you suggest there? Like, you know, I have a checklist, you know, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know, download guides, eBooks kind of specific to there before, or would you? No, 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 no. It's gotta go deeper. So like people who are doing this the best right now is like workable. Um, so like workable, is applicant tracking um, system, ATS. Mm-hmm. Um, they help with like job boards. So yeah. they built out this HR toolkit and it's very scalable. So blog content in its simplest form doesn't result in new demos because of where it is in the funnel the majority of the time. Mm-hmm. But transactional content that you can scale um, is really, really effective. What I mean by that is like they take the problem their ideal customer persona has. Um, an SMB HR manager. That's their persona. Mm-hmm. And what are their problems? Well, when a director comes to them and they want to do a job posting, they have to write a new job description. So they search job description for accountant. Well, what Workable did is they took every single solitary job description you could ever dream of and created it and then organized them all with permalinks, the right nomenclature, like have it all organized in a world-class hub all in a subfolder. Then they also have interview questions. Every interview question and guide you could have for every role. They have everything that the HR manager ever uses that their product is directly associated with. And here's where it gets even better. Now, when you read the job description, it says, post this job now. And when you click on that, you can literally create an account 
and distribute the job all online free of charge. So there's a one-to-one connection between the problem you're having, how Workable solved it, and getting on board to their product. That's the dream of product to content marketing. Love it. So I watched one of your a recent video where you where you posted you saying you suggest focusing your resources and content, you know, very focused and saying no to other marketing channels. Um, with those with a more limited budget, where do you suggest focusing your content efforts and marketing for acquisition, and where would you say no? I mean, I would just try to focus it in to like I was saying before. This I mean I struggle with this too. It's not that easy. Um, mm-hmm. It takes a lot of time, a lot of brain resources, a lot of restraint. Well, of course, right. it's not easy. Like, it, and you got to like stick it out because it doesn't work at first, right? Like anything. Exactly. And so, I think you have to feel very, very good that you understand your ideal customer persona. And what I found is people do not. But you got to like really understand. Like, I speak a lot, right? And I get speaker scores. Mm. And what I found is when I talk about tactics, people like it. And when I talk about theory or approach, people don't. So then I have to build content, right, that solves people's immediate problems. So we like to create our content based on the questions people are asking in our Slack group. Mm. Because those are ideal customers. And we go, look, like, oh, cool, that's the demand gen manager at Salesforce. Here's what she's struggling with. This is the type of questions she has. This is the information she wants. I'm going to go build that. You get what I'm saying? Makes sense. So I think if you build your content in a way that you're you can like, so me, right? Like I have more paid media data, I'd argue than almost anyone else in the world for SaaS. Okay. So how am I leveraging if CPAs are up or down right now since the election? Because if I can put that content out and no one else can, and I do that consistently, then you're going to go back to directive for insights related to paid media for SaaS because they're giving you information no one else can. Now, if I write 13 ways to increase your demo conversion rate and Crazy Egg and a billion other crap articles are out there, then why would I build a community if I'm saying another version of everyone else? And so ironically, SEO is the reason why content's bad. It's because we do cured research, we see how many people are searching for, and then we write an article to rank, and then we're like, oh yeah, I think this is related to my prospect. Instead of saying like, yeah, but but how but how are people finding you for so that one you're saying I, I wrote it you know how, how CPA has changed after the election, if you publish that and I mean who who's going to find it if there isn't that you know keyword volume this is gonna yeah this is gonna sound crazy from the SEO guy but what if mm-hmm. the content was so good that people told people about it oh my god <laughs> <laughs> I know it sounds stupid but like. <laughs> Our content isn't frankly good enough. Like, my honest to God, I would say 99% of the content I've created and other people create, hmm. people are not more likely to hire you after reading it than before. And if that's the case, why'd you write it? Because who cares if you're wrong? Yeah, so if you can start to understand product, hmm. problem, in this moment, right, where the pro- your ideal customer has a problem and they need a solution, and you can help them in that journey with your content. Mm. It's only a, it's an added bonus if it's a rank, if it ranks well and has volume. But the true value is if it's helpful enough that someone would actually tell someone else about. It. Like, is it good enough that they bookmark it, that they come back to it, that they think about it, that they tell others, that they have a positive impression of your brand? There's other ways to be discoverable. Like, yes, we need SEO. Yes, organic is great. All these things, sure. But like, putting SEO on a pedestal is a huge mistake. 
as a guy whose career is based in SEO, like putting SEO mm-hmm. on a pedestal doesn't help your business make more money in all transparency. Sure. This doesn't. Yeah, it's just like this podcast, right? Yeah, we'll, we'll hope to rank from it, but most likely, right, we're going to share this. People are going to listen to it. You're going to share with their audience and then people are like, hey, you've got to listen to this. And then boom, 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 you know, a couple of people later and now you've got a couple hundred people listening, but we didn't really put the effort of like optimizing it to get, um, you know, a bunch of, of, of people we don't want listening to it, right? You have to be consistent yeah. and you have to be different and you have to have something that only someone could get if they listen to you. Same thing with content, yeah. right? Like if there's a bunch of versions of you out there, then you don't matter. And then why listen? Yeah. It's the truth. Why read? Have, why care? Yeah. Good point. I haven't found other me's yet, but let me know if you, if you find them, <laughs> I'll try to be different. <laughs> it's like the, that's the catch is we put all our effort in growth hacking and tricks and stuff, but the substance of what we're trying to promote isn't good enough for any of the hacks or tricks to matter. Yeah. So I want to understand a little bit more about the branding side, because that's something I also struggle with. and I'm trying to improve. Um, how do you suggest empowering or improving brands through using, you know, other digital mediums or a little bit of creativity? Any, any thoughts? You have to be willing to do it without hoping to get anything back. Just do it and put it out there and see what happens. Like what I mean by that is like, you know, I always believe that the best way to grow your brand is to take the amount of money you're comfortable losing every single day with no return and doing that. Not doing more, not doing less, just doing that. So in other words, if you feel comfortable running an ad to your exact customer on Facebook for $10 a day till you die and you'll never turn it off, just do it. There's no way to really measure brand marketing today. People have all sorts of crap that they love to say. I'm yeah. working with some of the biggest accounts in the world. Even the really great social listening tools, all that stuff, it's not as effective as anybody likes to think. The truth is, is you can see top line revenue, you can see your other things, you can see influence things, but it's hard to go one-to-one on your brand place. Like podcasts, like sponsoring a podcast, going on this show. I'm not going to know the true value of it, but I know that if I get to talk about my business and help others, I make money. And if you just keep doing it, it can work. Now, if you just do it for a year and ah, it wasn't worth it, doesn't work. If you do it for a couple of weeks, it doesn't work. Like you have to be able to do it for a decade. Mm. And now you're a brand. But the problem is most people don't have the consistency to grind it out. Myself included. Like I struggle with this all the time, but you know, if you can, that's where the breakthroughs come. It's also being able to think that far ahead, right? Most people just plan for the next quarter, the next year. So if, yeah, if you can say, I'm going to commit to this for 10 years, that's a, that's a very hard ask and a hard commitment, but I think that's where the, the, it really pays off, right? The count, the compound interest really pays off. Yeah. I know that's what I'm doing. I was trying to do like an episode a day and then I burn out after like three months. I'd be better off <laughs> saying, Hey, how much could you do if you could consistently mm-hmm. do it for 10 years? Yeah. And then if you just do that, I mean, you're going to have a brand. Like genuinely you will. It's just about consistency and quality and the rest solves itself. So, so Garrett, starting off with, uh, you know, delivering flyers for Shawarma store. Now you're doing, you know, quite well, I think, um, who or what have you, could you say have been resources or mentors that you can credit have been instrumental to your success along the way? And maybe you can recommend to others to check out whether it's a book, whether it's somebody you follow. Yeah. Um, well, you can see everybody I follow on my Twitter. I think I've done a pretty good job of following every single solitary person of social value and performance marketing. So SEO and PPC content. I legitimately get everything from Twitter. So I'm on Twitter all day, every day. I don't tweet a bunch, but I consume everything 
from anyone. Anything I want to get interested in, I just follow all the influencers of that on Twitter. And next thing you know, I'm drastically more informed on a new channel or something like that. So I do recommend you look at who I follow. Um, that's the one way. Um, another thing is like, I love to read books. So um, good to great um, on grand strategy. Um, history of the world. I mean, I love really reading history books, strategy books, um, marketing books, business books, leadership books, management books. What I do is like anytime I'm trying to solve something in my company where I think we need to be better, mm-hmm. like, hey, we got to do a better job of hiring. I'll go buy a bunch of books on recruiting, interviewing, hiring, processing, and then I'll get good at it. So what I want is I'm a, I don't know anything. You know, so I just go figure out who's smarter than me and then read everything they have to say and see if I can't beat them and make it kind of a competition. I don't know. Yeah. Another good way is actually get them, get those experts on your podcast. Then you just ask them all the sure, questions. Yeah. 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 <laughs> cool. Um, what are some of your favorite marketing tools or softwares that you think you wouldn't be as efficient without using today? Gong's pretty good. Uh, I've been liking Gong uh, from sales to understand sales stuff better. Mm-hmm. Um, HubSpot's, doing, HubSpot's doing a really good job. I was on Marketo. <sighs> Marketo's just a nightmare in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. HubSpot, I really enjoy. I think they do a good job with their product. Um, uh, I've found most products aren't as good as you think. Mm. And they have very specific use cases. That's very... like Everybody wants to be a platform in their products now. They want to have a suite of solutions. But they're usually only... like It's not that they aren't good at all. It's usually you only have a real use case for maybe one of them. So just being really judicious on the software you use based on explicit use cases that you see repeating. And that's how I do it. Yeah, we just had the the VP of marketing at HubSpot on earlier today, awesome. so it's, it's good. It's, I love, I love okay. HubSpot myself. Yeah. Oh, that's huge, man. Yeah. 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 Cool. Um, what What else are some of the biggest challenges that you're facing today, and you're hoping to overcome and you know continue to grow Directive? Yeah, we're just trying to get really good at like we've gone very very good at our pipeline, um, getting people in. It's harder than you'd think to like have twenty intro calls a day. Um, and get 20 intro calls to a proposal with the necessary information at scale. That's a lot harder to manage 20 calls a day. Are these like 15 minute calls? (laughs) No, like 30 minute calls, but it's like a whole team of people. So then, you know, Mm -hmm. some people are struggling. Some people are doing good. Some people are doing great. Why are the great ones doing better than the ones that are struggling? What's wrong with your system? How do you coach them? Yeah, like managing big pipelines is probably my biggest challenge today. Is like managing a big pipeline is way harder than I thought it was. Um, mm. There's just a lot. It's, it's a lot harder than I thought. It's a lot easier when you have like three calls. One guy does it all. One gal does it all. You're like, oh, sure. She's great. She does it all. And then you try to go, okay, let's go get four of them. And then we're going to add people to do intro calls and people to grow it after. Building a sales org is a lot harder than people give it credit. Yeah, that's why most job. organizations, yeah, they just try to charge more and get better at screening, but they don't usually try to go the volume route because it's very hard. Yeah, I'm surprised you you guys are doing that rather than putting higher filters, but you said if, if it works, I mean... Well, yeah. if no one else can do it. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. I mean, what agencies are good at high volume sales? No, not many. Is, is that your goal kind of to, to help scale, just keep pushing on that, that end, building out a whole kind of sales team? Yeah, we're looking to become a platform company and to compete with like the top five shops and performance. So you have to be able to yeah. allocate capital, right? So you have to be able to have a margin and then you have to be able to take that margin and be able to reinvest it at scale. The problem is, is like 
doing that in short amounts of time is very difficult. Like the way most agencies grow is they just keep raising rates and then they get really good at growing accounts and expanding them. And then Mm -hmm. they start to, then they lose an account and they're in a bad spot, you know? And they got to do layoffs and it's tough, right? Because, you know, one account accounts for 12, 13% of revenue. Um, I've found that you're better off getting good at one thing and then treating the other thing separate. So if you can get really good at mid-market sales, mm-hmm. that's great. And then you can build a separate team for enterprise, but don't try to have the same team do both, right? So we're at the point where we've got a really nice mid-market team and we're building our enterprise team and we're mm-hmm. treating them separate, different KPIs, different goals, different LTV CAC, different average order values, different everything. And, and that's, that's what gets your growth. But I mean, honestly, like high growth orgs, I mean, insane specialization, insane utilization, lots of waste when you don't have everything working. It's brutal. But if you can figure it out, now you're the 1% of agencies in the world that have a high volume sales. So now with, you know, mid-market pricing, now you're in a good spot. Yeah, I mean, I still, I've met a lot of agency owners. Actually, last, last week we interviewed Eric Sue from Single Grain and we asked that question, like, how do you scale, right? I mean, you hit a lot of agencies, they hit a nice point, but then they'll just plateau, right? And I think that's happened many, many times. So if you can figure out how to break through, um, he, he made a couple of suggestions, you know, kind of moving towards like the more uh, results based. So, you know, some whether it's not, uh, you know, just charging the retainer, um, you know, you have some paper lead or uh, if you can get to a, a percentage base where you're more like a, um, a partner in it and you get more upside, then there could be um, aligned incentives to stay more long term and scale. But yeah, I mean, but that, that crap's brutal, man. Like, yeah, you tried it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The second you're too effective, you're considered expensive. Because both ways, that. right? I mean, it goes both ways. You're paying me a retainer, you get your results, then like, thanks, like I'll take this in house or whatever. Right? Nah, so. but you get margin on the retainer because you can create increasing marginal returns on a fixed cost. You can't create increasing marginal returns on a relative cost that scales. So mm. that's why they see you as expensive. So if you're fifteen percent of every net new lead, then they can never make a margin off of that initial investment. Now, if you're fifteen grand they can make a margin off of it. And that's why you can retain better. So you have a struggle with retention on the percents and then you get legal battles because mm. they say this, you're like, well, this account turned after 60 days. Like you want to get paid. The and now you got, and then there are a relationship erodes. Like, yeah, I think there's gotta stuff. be a lot of trust. Like you basically, they have to give you access to everything. They've got to be something you've worked with for a while. And then, yeah. Yeah. But no big boys do that, man. There's no big no. boys. No, <laughs> You don't even know the CFO, the CEO. You don't know anybody at the high level. Like, you, you know the <laughs> director of demand gen. That's like it. And you might see the CMO once a quarter. That's true. Yeah, it, yeah, you're right. So it's not. You know what I mean? Like, it's a different. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, on the SMB stuff, you can do these types of partnerships, but then their businesses are less secure. They're more volatile humans. They're not seasoned executive. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, there's not a ton. But anytime you try to chase the upside of owning the business, you're better off doing something like other agencies do where they'll build a holdings company. Then they'll do acquisitions. They'll acquire brands. They'll run the brands themselves. And then you own it. And that's a great... If you want to do that partnership route, that's a better route, in my opinion, than uh, being this like weird connection. That's exactly what we do, right? We moved up that because we we had those middle. So we've done retainers, we've done that, and then yeah, we found this is better. We just own it all, we control it, we get all the upside. So yes, sir. <laughs> yeah. Well, we share it with our investors, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's yeah. yeah, that's a much 
better route I found to. Yeah, you actually control the cash. What are you guys focused on right now? What, who's your target market? Who do you want to be working with? Uh, who should be contacting you? And how can they get in touch with you to learn more about uh, Directive? Yeah, yeah, we work with um, software companies. So mid-market enterprise, you know, brands you've heard of, um, our clients of ours. Um, and if not, we're talking to them. So, you know, we're mostly just working with, you know, um, 100 plus employee type SaaS companies or really well-funded, high-profile like startups. Um, but that's really rare. Mostly pretty established teams uh, in the mid-market enterprise SaaS space. What are you talking about? Like series A, Series B, above kind of? Like, um, what's Zoom Info? I think they went public this last year, so I think they're a lot. Yeah. <laughs> they're way faster. So right? those, I guess, like those types are great. Um, <laughs> like those types of accounts, I guess, are like ideal for us. Um, but mid-market ones, they're they're always different. Everything and they're hard because like you've never heard of them, and they're doing like two hundred million. You're like, what the hell? I didn't know that there was a oh, yeah. industry for medical device software automation and you make how much money? You have 500 employees. Like we work in every vertical I never even knew existed. <laughs> yeah. um, and they're across all sorts. I forget the series all the time. I've never raised money. Um, but let's say like full marketing department, you know, multiple people in the marketing org, they're spending, you know, thirty, fifty thousand $50,000 plus a month on digital. And then that's usually who we work with. Cool. All right, guys. So uh, I'll put the links to your show notes of Directive's uh, website. And if you guys want to say hi, how can they, they get in touch with you? Yeah, um, I was on Twitter at Gmergoot, on LinkedIn at Garrett Mergoot, or uh, Society. It's a totally free Slack group. Really cool. Um, we have a really talented growth team at Directive that does all our own marketing. And they're actually in the channel. They'll answer any question you have free of charge, which is like pretty dope. So like people are getting into like, hey, how do I do better on like... Uh, offline conversion tracking plus smart bidding on my Google ads. Like how do I structure it? Like getting really in depth, like on pretty advanced stuff. Um, free of charge. It's really active community. Pretty cool actually. Yeah. Cool. It's all well, SaaS marketing. Yeah. Society. Cool. I'll send that to my yeah. team to check out too. Appreciate that. Yeah, no, it's dope. It's very cool. All right, man. Cool. Thanks for, thanks for jumping on today. Appreciate it. Eh? Thanks Akil. Nice meeting you. Thank you all for listening in to this episode and joining SaaS district today. Don't forget to leave a review and subscribe for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SaaS industry. If you're a SaaS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at horizoncapital.com. And myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please DM us on Instagram or LinkedIn at Horizon Capital and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and hope to see you on the next one.